Hi, everyone. I'm Erica Novak, Head of Client Services for Utmost and your host for Contingent Workforce Radio, brought to you by Utmost, the VMS Transform, enabling your full talent supply channel and one global network. Today's topic is lights, camera, action, contingent workforce in the entertainment industry. And I'm very excited to be joined by Phil Montag from Discovery Warner Brothers. We're going to chat about entertainment and about the flexibility and the ability to adapt among your actual business users. So Phil, thank you so much for joining me. Love for you to introduce yourself and set the stage of who you are to our listeners. Yeah, thank you, Erica. It's it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So you said, my name is Phil Montag and I am in procurement for Warner Brothers Discovery. I have kind of an interesting background. So I was a captain in the US Army. I was a helicopter pilot did a couple tours to Afghanistan, decided that's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I got out of the army, went into management consulting, focused in the procurement space, Uh, did that for a few years, and then got the opportunity to join, was at the time Discovery, so legacy organization was Discovery. And then now we're going through this giant merger. We're now a whole new company, Warner Brothers Discovery, and we hope to compete with the big players in the media industry. So it's been a kind of a interesting road to get to this point, but it's been fun as well. So looking forward to what's next. So before we move on, I definitely want to hit on the fact that you have a former military background. My husband's former Marine, my sister's former Army. And when we talk to people, no one has the same story and contingent. Everyone kind of falls into it. It's usually HR staffing. It's usually people-oriented or it's organizational-oriented. I'd love to hear from your experience within the military, what skills or roles that you had that parlayed over nicely that you think actually has helped you in management of contingent labor? Yeah, so it is very different. I mean, we did have some contractors in the Army that we dealt with, but most of it was full-time. But I think the biggest thing is the skills I took away is the ability to take a task that seemingly might push you to the edge of your comfort zone and to just be able to say, you know what, I'm going to get this done and do whatever it takes and come hell or high water, it's going to happen. And it might not be perfect, but it's going to happen. And that's something that's a unique thing that veterans bring to the workforce is that in a lot of other industries or areas, people aren't always pushed in that same way. And there's not always the urgency to get those same things done. So I think it's I think it's a real benefit that veterans can bring. Oh, I think that's huge. You're exactly right. I hear my husband say, like, it's about the mission. The mission yeah. must be finished, right? So, But I think that is good. And the reason I share that with our listeners is most people think about bringing on former staffing or MSP or procurement into their world. But now that we're doing more with DNI and there's more focused on bringing veterans, right? and veteran spouses into kind of the corporate world. That's a great, great segue to make sure people are thinking about these are people who could join your guys' teams and push you and be dedicated. And so even if the resumes don't match one for one, like you said, what they bring is a dedication to the mission and figuring out a solution regardless. And those are going to be your creative thinkers. So CW program owners, keep that in mind when you're hiring, trying to bring new people into your guys' world. There's a whole bunch of veterans out there that could help out. And I will say the things I've seen work in the past, you can always teach someone certain skills. And to your point, Erica, you might not have a one-to-one match, but if you bring in good people, I mean, you can teach them to do anything and they're going to succeed. And I've seen it happen time and time again in both the military side and the civilian world. So couldn't agree more with that. Excellent. Okay. Now let's jump over to entertainment because I'm excited in the fact that you're the first one on this podcast that we've talked to about the entertainment industry. 
everyone really loves it because we're all watching Netflix and we're watching Warner Brother movies and everyone has an idea of how it actually gets done. But we'd love to hear a little bit more about what are some of the nuances of how work or productions get done out of your guys' program that are maybe different from a typical corporate contingent workforce program or workforce planning perspective. Yeah. And to your point, Eric, I had no idea how it actually worked, right? You know, I didn't know who was actually making the content and how that got to air. I had some ideas, I think, but you not being in the media industry previously and then coming into it, it's been eye-opening to see not only how it gets done, but all the different ways it can get done. So for instance, I came from the discovery side of the Warner Brothers discovery, and it was a lot of on location kind of small scale shoots where the types of teams and the types of crew that were on the set, it might be only a few people. If you're doing a remote shoot out in wherever for Naked and Afraid or whatever the show is, you're not going to send a hundred people there. It's a small team. It's probably going to be outsourced, right? You know, it's not going to be discovery employees. It's somebody on an SOW that we're saying, hey, produce this content for us. We're going to cut you a check and then it's going to be ours. And that's one way of doing it. But there's also for these movies that might be on set on a lot in Burbank or wherever, or large episodic TV shows. We have obviously Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon just came out and it's you know doing very well. That model is very different, right? You might have the same people working in a certain place for this long scale, long period of time. But the one thing it is, is almost everyone on that set is going to be some part of the extended workforce, whether it be contingent workers or SOWs. A lot of them are going to be contingent workers. So you really have to have a program that can flex to those different needs and cover a lot of different areas because now as a combined company, we have short form shows that are going to, or reality-based shows that are going to film on location. We got episodic TV, we got you know, large, huge scale movie productions. Pull out a couple of things that you'd said, right? What's great about this is this is the business. Sometimes when I think about speaking to contingent workforce program owners, some of them are very siloed. If it's not a, for all, it's for just the corporate. We're just doing IT and we leave the business or really the revenue generating people alone, right? Opposed to saying, no, your program should be able to enable that as well, right? Like you said, these guys who are putting together and producing the content and making it happen are the ones that are paying everyone's bills. And so like being able to pay them and making sure they're running, they're not getting short on compliance is really important. Can you talk about the different types of contingent? I think typically when I've heard about the industry and in, entertainment industry, I've heard most people are truly, and this be U.S. centric for this conversation, but knowing that there's just definitions internationally, truly an independent contractor. They're 1099, um, Erica Novak independent versus smaller companies or larger companies. Can you share a couple of examples of the classifications that you call people and what type of roles fall into each, just so we're all talking the same language here? Yeah, so I think... In some instances, that's true. So for like certain hair and makeup and folks like that, we do have a lot of true independent contractors, I would say. But we also have a lot that are engaged as W-2s, as real true contingent workers. And those will be more like the actual people involved on the set, in the production, like cameramen and 
sound people and things like that. And then you have, it's not even getting into like post-production, but the people actually physically there on set during the shoot, you're typically more on the W2 CW side. And then I already mentioned, we do have straight outsource. So we'll just outsource the whole thing, put it on an SOW and it's part of the extended workforce, but not necessarily an IC or a, uh, a, a contingent worker. So I think we run the gamut and pretty much the whole spectrum of the extended workforce. No, oh, that's huge. So would an example be craft services? Would that be yeah. you're outsourced or you're editing? Would that be outsourced? Yeah, it's probably outsourced, but at certain times it might be CWs or especially on the editing side, we might have people in-house that do that too. And what it probably will be is sometimes we'll have full-time people on that role, but then we'll flex and add people as needed for certain jobs. So it really just depends on the project. It's critical for us to be flexible and be able to meet the business's demands when they come up. So in program design, we're not designing it for a certain type of worker. You have to design it to be flexible, to meet that need, whatever might come up because the media industry changes so quickly. We don't even know two years from now is a lifetime away in the media industry. Two years ago in discovery, we were a straight, we call it linear, right? All the revenue is coming from cable TV, right? Your typical pay cable TV. In that time now we've launched our own app, Discovery Plus. So it's a direct-to-consumer app. So it completely changes the model of what you're doing. You're going direct-to-consumer instead of dealing with a lot of other players in the industry. And then now we've gone through a, a giant merger as well, which again, changes things. So there's no way to predict those things. And I think the rate of change is coming even even more quickly now. And so you just have to have to be able to design your program to be able to meet those changes because you can't predict what they're going to be. No, oh, and I love to hear you say that because I think when people set up programs the old school way, it's this is how it's supposed to be, join my box versus no. nope, this is moving, this is malleable. We need to go with the flow. I think that makes people uncomfortable. So it excites me to hear you say that as an industry, and again, I'm in tech, right? So tech is the same thing. It's moving fast. It's changing. What's old is new and new is old. Like you just have to be able to pivot and help enable the business and not hinder it. So if you can share when a new project comes up and again, we're focused on total workforce. I love the fact that you guys are thinking it's employees and non-employees all mixed together and it may change. How are you brought in? When does it start? Who was spoken to? And how do you guys actually get the work done or assign the workforce? Well, <laughs> He's laughing, guys. it's interesting. So the media industry, obviously it's a whole different animal. So things like compliance and things like you have a following policy, media industry does not do very well with that, right? They're creative folks. They're used to pumping out content and rein in my creative vibes. And some of that is totally legitimate. And some of that is an excuse because they don't want to follow the rules. So the corporate side of things, we have to be aware of that. And, and again, like I said, some of it's legitimate and some of it's not. So you just have to kind of pick through where those legitimate pieces are and where they aren't. So it's really a balance. So when do we get brought in? Hopefully it's at the beginning of the process, but a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's midstream. A lot of times we hear about it afterwards and we have to go back and say, okay, that is not the way you should be 
doing this, right? For cost reasons, for compliance reasons, engage us early next time so we can do it the right way. But when we do get brought in early, there's just so much more we can do. We can kind of design the solution to fit the need a whole lot better. We can take in other things we have going on throughout the organization. We can use all our resources. And we talk about this a lot on the procurement side. How do you do that? How do you get tied in early to a lot of things? I don't think there's any magic bullet to it. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do on the technology side and the process side and the policy side to help, but there's no substitute for just being tied in to people, just talking to stakeholders within the organization and just saying, what do you got going on? What's coming up in the next three, six months? Is there anything we can help with? Because, you know, their stakeholders are busy. The last thing on their list is engaging with procurement or making sure they follow the right policy. They have something they have to accomplish and that's really all they're thinking about. So if you can meet them where they're at, it's going to be beneficial. I think that's such good advice for really anyone right? That's not an entertainment specific. That is, if you don't know your business, if you're not sure how your company makes money, you don't know who's in charge of that. They don't know your name. Don't hide behind an MSP to work with the managers and suppliers. You need to know, you need to be someone that they look to pre-COVID. It was much easier to walk the halls and see people and see them in the cafeteria or make yourself known. Post-COVID, it's a little bit more difficult, but still not impossible of making sure they're just aware of you and you come to mind because you've been around and you're talking to them. And again, it goes back to enablement, not restriction. So you're aware of all the rules. They're not, but your job is to figure out how to get them to be to what they want within the world. So I love that. When you think about kind of like, and I brought up COVID pre versus post COVID that affected your guys' business and had some ramifications of how your teams had to work. Yeah, I mean, COVID was a huge shift for us. Like everyone, we went remote. In a lot of instances, productions stopped, shut down, which is a huge problem. Discovery, and it wasn't Warner Brothers Discovery at that point. Discovery, I think, did an outstanding job as a business finding ways to make content. You had content pop up with talent filming themselves on phones or cooking shows or Food Network. That's so one thing you were doing was you're at home a lot. So you know, they could film themselves at their homes and just doing things around the house. HGTV and Food Network lend themselves to being around the house. So I think we had a little bit of an advantage in that way. On the corporate side, it's very difficult because like you said, there's no substitute for just being there and having those types of conversations in the lunchroom or just see people and you pick up little nuggets that you wouldn't otherwise. So I think what I try to do is be very intentional about putting just time on people's calendars and not having the agenda totally filled up where we talked about what we need to talk to and that's it. We turn off the Zoom, we hit end on Zoom and that's it. You know, there's a little bit of time to talk about, hey, what's going on? You know, how's the family? How's everything else going? And you just get to talking and you get to hear things and connect dots that you wouldn't otherwise get to do. But it's a huge change. I mean, from the procurement side, you had to be wary of when you're starting back up productions, testing masks, all that other stuff. It's a huge expense and a huge problem five years ago testing on a production it doesn't exist like it wasn't a thing and now you have to have it 
So it took a lot of adapting for sure. No, I think that's exactly right. Where things that we thought that's silly, that would never happen. We never do that. We never pay for it. No one would go buy it. Yeah. It's a new, new world order. Talk to me a little bit about how you work with teams. So again, but my very base knowledge is if people are contractors or independent contractors or part of an SOW, you have first ADs who like working with these boom operators. You have people who know each other and work well, people who don't. When you think about knowing who's quality, who's good, and redeploying, we talk a lot about redeployment and bringing teams back together for quality work and who don't. How do you guys do this? Is it spreadsheets? Is this knowing there are their systems? Is it relations-based? How are you able to say, this worker or this team is great, let's bring back, or nope, we're not going to work with them again, or these two can't work together again? How do you guys look to put that together? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think we have that all figured out. I think we're trying to get better with our systems and is where we can say we have certain high performers here and we want to give them more work. I don't think we're great at it now. A lot of it is just reputation. People talk and they know this person's done great work before and we want to bring them back on. That's kind of scary from a corporate standpoint where I'm at because you're completely reliant on your word of mouth, which you have no insight into. But again, you just have to get down and talk to people. But trying to put systems in place where you can do that, where you can track performance and reward high performers. Our goal is to put systems in place where we can react quickly. And the cycle time we need to onboard people onto some of our shoots is 100% different than what we could take on the corporate side, which we haven't talked about the corporate side as much, but that's a whole piece of this too. So we have to have systems that'll work on the corporate side and systems that'll work on the production side. And those aren't aren't always the same systems, but we need to have the, the ability to meet the need of the business and be able to onboard people quickly. And part of that is knowing who's good and who's bad and who's been vetted before and who hasn't, who's performed well before and who hasn't. And we're getting there. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. Let's add some color to it because you're exactly right. If I think about corporate, let's pretend, let's go standard corporate. It's a week to two weeks to get someone onboarded because of background checks, onboarding documents. But in your production world, sometimes it's hours, right? Someone walks off set and you need to have someone holding again. Like I always go lights, right? There's lights, there's the boomstick, there's the actual camera. So when you talk about onboarding quickly on the production side, I mean, usually it's days or weeks, but it can be hours to replace someone. Can you give a story on that? Yeah. So when I started, we had everyone on the same legacy system, right? Production, not production, production and corporate. And it was just very clear that on the production side, it was failing, right? The systems weren't set up for it. We weren't set up to add people on that amount of time. So at first, we looked at solutions that were different and that cycle time was quicker. And things with mobile enabled, obviously, is huge. If you can onboard somebody from your phone, especially in instances where they've worked for you before, like, why not? Why not be able to click a few buttons and just ensure that I-9 paperwork and everything else is filled out? You know, that was huge for us and something that didn't exist before because we had these short form shoots for like Food Network and, and other things where we're not shooting 
full episodes. We're not shooting movies here. You, you have short content and you just don't have three weeks to be able to onboard people. This shoot's going to be done in three weeks by the time you get these people onboarded. So the ability to do it quickly and easily from your phone in a way that works for both hiring managers and workers is huge for us. So we just separate it out and it's fine to have a corporate process and a production process, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's why I love like with modern technology, it's really been proven that you got to be able to be malleable and have distinctions between whether it's country, classification, org, worker type, especially I'm with you, if they're redeploying the amount of compliance or push on something you've already known and vetted and whatnot, anytime you work with someone again and again, and again, it should be faster and faster and faster, not the same. And usually it's the same because you already said due to a system. Here's the process through a technology that has to be this or people and they're not inspired to make decisions or they're so underwater they can't make a difference because this is the only way to go to capacity. Can you talk a little bit about contracts? So when I think about ways to accelerate, right, standard contracts, independent controversy, SOW of having to get people in the door and signing paperwork. What does that look like for new workers versus returning workers? It kind of depends, but if we're going through our standard processes, if they're signed once and all the terms and the first time that there tends to be a little bit of back and forth on terms and conditions and everything else, yeah, I'm talking on the corporate side now, not as much on the production side, but once we get them in the door and once we get an agreement on some basic things, it's markedly quicker the second time. We look to bring people back, obviously, for that reason, just to reduce that cycle time and to keep those people that we know we've worked for. In the past, Discovery has been a small enough organization. There's pros and cons to Jim, Noah, and Sally because they've always worked together and they know each other that we can bring them on quickly. And you run into some issues with that, but it also can help in the cycle time aspect of it as well. No, it makes sense. You've shared that in the entertainment industry, two years is too long or whatnot. Things are moving, things are shaking. What do you want to see in the contingent workforce industry? Let's broaden out the human capital, working with people. What type of innovation do you think should come to actually enable you guys better and further? I think for us, t t total talent is huge. We have been so siloed in kind of our ICCW world versus our SOW world versus our full-time world. And we're starting to break down some of those walls. I mean, the great thing about a merger like this is you look at every, every process and it's a nice impetus for change. So you can take a look and say, okay, this is how we've been doing it. Is that the way we want to do it going forward? And we've been so siloed in a lot of those areas. From a procurement standpoint, I see all the warts of it, right? I see people being denied as CWs because we have term limits or whatever, and they just go and put them on an SOW or they hire them as a full-time worker or whatever. And really that person should be a CW, but we're trying to get around the system. Favorite quotes ever it's from Jurassic Park, which I'm nerdy about, but life I finds love a way, Park. right? Just the best. Dr. Life. Ian Malcolm, life finds a way. <laughs> I gotcha. love him. But exactly right. This is what it does. You tell someone no, and they're trying to get something done that is important to the overall company and business. And you say, based on an old school policy, they figure out another way to get the job done, right? It's so true, Erica. And we, as kind of contingent worker professionals, we have to enable the 
people to be able to make the right decisions. You know, people don't want to make the wrong decisions. People don't want to be uncompliant. People don't want to not follow the rules. We have to be able to structure our programs where they can follow the rules and still get what they need to get done, done. Discovery in the media industry, it's a competitive industry, right? So people don't have time to sit around and deal with the corporate nonsense or the corporate rules, they're going to get it done one way or another. So we have to put something in place that's going to work for them. Sometimes we've been successful in that and sometimes we haven't. When we're not successful, they still get it done. It's just not within the rules. With that in mind, it really is going to help us going forward to have a full picture of the extended workforce and really the workforce in general. So I'm excited about that. I think there's a huge opportunity in that. I'm excited for the work to to getting into that going forward because it's tough work. It's not something you just switch the light on and, okay, this is what we're going to do. And it's done in three months. It's a change in the way you do all sorts of things. It's a big multi-year project, but the payoff is huge. So I'm excited for that. And the other thing I'd say in the industry, I take a look at what different industries are doing and the needs of certain things. So I don't see a lot of reason why on the corporate side, we can't do some of the things we do on the production side. So why can't we onboard people in 12 hours instead of two weeks? I don't think there is a lot of reason why we can't do that. I think we have some systems and processes in place that stop us from doing that, but there's no reason we can't. It's just, we've never been pushed to do it before. And we are in a unique position as Warner Brothers Discovery that we have kind of these two different process. And we can say, look at how fast and efficient we can do this on the production side. Why can't we do it on the corporate side? And what's the technology that can enable us to do that? I think that's something I would like to see happen in the next, again, that's not something that happens quickly, but take some of these lessons learned from some of these industries and apply it to ones that are not leading edge, right? Because I think there's a huge opportunity there as well. I love that you say that because I think that's exactly right. I think people are used to, well, it's complacency, right? This is going to take background checks. This is just what corporate feels like versus saying, I mean, when you think about Amazon, you think about Google, you think about iPhones and what they've, for those listening, I'm holding up my Android. (laughs) But you think about the expectation of what an experience should feel like it shouldn't be a my personal life versus my corporate life. It shouldn't be a I'm in the business or I'm in the corporate world. There's a way to do things fast, clearer, and more transparent than ever before. But it does take someone saying, I actually, I want that. I'm going to go after that. And you're right, it is hard and you have to influence or whatnot. But there shouldn't be this, why does it take so long to do all these things? And it usually is old tech, old processes. An old way of thinking, right? That just needs a catalyst to say, why not change? Yeah. And I'll add to that. It's the expectation. So people have the expectation, oh, it just takes a month to onboard a CW. Quick little story here. So I was talking to, this is nothing to do with the CW space, but this is on our facilities team. They had to get requisition in and a PO approved in like 12 hours. And they did it no problem. And most of the time it takes days at the easiest. And part of the problem or part of the reason it got approved so quickly is because everyone knew in the chain of approval, it had to get done. So it didn't 
go to one person's inbox and sit there for two days and then go to another person's inbox and sit there for two more days. It was done, goes to the next person, done, goes to the next person, done. And it can be that easy. And it, it's eye-opening to see, to see the process work the right way and how easy it can be. But it takes a, a change in the mindset and that we can do things quicker and better and more efficient. You have to have everyone on board. It's not just a few people. That's exactly right. Like same team, same focus. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. We are trying to accomplish this. And it also, it sounds like the people who are responsible for approving the PO were within the right line. A lot of times where yeah. I see like the approvals go to hell in a handbasket is you have a bunch of people who don't need to be on there or have no yeah. idea what's going on and have no desire to go fast because it doesn't actually impact them at all. So you're like, whoa, 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 why do they need to be here? And I go back to same team, same focus. You can do a ton of things. You can change, you can move versus things that are splintered out. So I'm Absolutely. with you on that, right? And like ability, like the flexibility, let's go back to your kind of your original theme, right? Be able to flex and adapt to get things done, right? Usually is bringing people along with you, looking and hearing the feedback and saying, okay, what are we actually trying to get done and how do we do it together? Yeah. And a huge part of that is actually you need to take the time to evaluate when things go right and when things go wrong and sit down and think about it and say, oh, why did that happen the way it did? Why did we fail in that? Or why did we succeed in that? It's, it's one of the things I learned in the military, quite honestly, is that you'd sit down and pick apart everything and because the stakes were high. So you, you couldn't go in and fail the next time, make the same mistakes the next time. So you really worked on figuring out why things happened the way they happened. And I think that we're so busy in the corporate space that not a lot of that gets done. You have a success or you have a failure and it's so, so quickly on to the next one. And you have to consciously sit back, take time, talk about why things went right or why things went wrong, and then you know, make steps to change those things. It's hard to do. But it's really needed and it's the only thing that's going to drive real change or take us to the point where we can adapt to all these different situations that we're going to be facing in, in the near future. Oh, from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so, I mean, if I think about CW program owners, or let's talk about program managers, whether they're MSP or internal, what I see a ton of is manager gets mad. So CWPM considers manager rogue. Yeah. They scold each other or managers mad at CW program. This took forever, whatever. And that PM just tries to de-escalate and apologize, right? Yeah. Move on, but they don't change. It is, all right, we got through that hard conversation. That is part of it. But the hard conversation actually doesn't become impetus to change the process. Right. And whether it's a manual process or a systematic process it becomes the, well, it's my process. They're upset it didn't work for them. We got through it on to the next. And they just keep getting yelled at for a very similar thing. And usually it's silly as add my supplier. Why can't I use this? It's too long. You didn't get this signed in time. I lost my work or whatever. They usually fall within, let's say, five reasons always that managers are upset. And they just, they de-escalate and they continue versus going back to your world is it's about being flexible and saying, why didn't that work? And it, can I change? What can I do? How do I adapt? Because guess what? If he's yelling, she's yelling, 
someone else probably is going to. And so it's not about de-escalating the conversation. It's taking that feedback and yeah. saying, why and how can Actually I evolve changing. and change? Change it. Yeah. You can still do it. There's not one way to be compliant. There's not one way to, for cost containment. I say it all the time. Sorry, listeners. There's no one way to eat a Reese's. There's no one way to run your program. It's got to work for your business. It's not them. It's you. So I love that you're saying this. Like it is that debrief. It is that what went well, what didn't, what can I change? And having the ownership to make the change, make it. I'll add one thing to that. So you have to have the tools that make it easy for you to make changes. If you can sit down and identify the change, but it takes six months and three extra resources to make that change, it's probably not going to happen, right? So if you can design your programs with enough flexibility and enough the tools that can be changed and adapt to your program needs, because otherwise you're going to have this long list of changes that need to be made. And that quite honestly, they're never going to get done until you have a giant merger and you can uh, have, have <laughs> impetus for that change. All right. We're running out of time. Let's do one last question. Knowing that the people who are listening could be newbies, could be maybe in their middle of their career, could be seasoned, it could be a supplier. What's a piece of advice that you want to make sure people walk away from having listened to you in the session? What's something that you want them to start doing, stop doing, or continue doing? Yeah, I've hit on the flexibility part enough. I think it's really important. I've hit on being able to truly evaluate everything you do. So there's kind of a theory, and I'm going to go back again to the, the military side of it. It's called OODA loop, right? If you've heard of the OODA loop, it stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. The concept is for everything you do in life, in, if you're just walking down the street, you're constantly doing this. You're observing things, you're orienting, making sense of what you're seeing, and then you decide on what to do, and then you actually do it. You're constantly going through this cycle. Well, if it takes you a long time to go through that cycle, you're going to be at a disadvantage. If you can do that cycle more quickly, you're going to have an advantage over your peers. So there's a bunch of different parts of that process as we putting that into the contingent workforce lens. You got to be able to observe. You got to be able to track what you're doing, right? You got to know what you're doing. You got to orient on it. You got to be able to translate that raw data into something. And then you have to decide, which can be tough because your decisions, you have to get the right people on board to make those decisions. And then you actually have to do it. And you have to keep on doing that cycle, right? And the longer it takes to do that cycle, you're going to be at a huge disadvantage. If it takes you six months to do that cycle, it's not quick enough. If you can do that cycle relatively quickly, you're going to be in really good shape because you're going to be able to adapt to a changing environment. So if you're doing that quicker than your peers, you're going to be successful. So I've found that construct to applies to pretty much anything in life. So that's what I say, be able to do that OODA loop, observe, orient, decide, and then act. Be able to do that quicker than your peers and you'll be in good shape. 
That's awesome. I haven't heard of that. I am going to ask my husband if he has heard that. I uh, bet he has. I bet you he's got that or he's like, oh, we added one more letter because we're Marines. But but Phil, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for joining the podcast. We'd love to have you back. But again, appreciate your time and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Erica, so much for having me. It was a blast and you have a great day as well.